Welcome to Simon and White and the podcast at the crossroads of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian White and joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Hi, everybody. Well, Mark, um, you know, some interesting things going on, uh, you know, with Speaker McCarthy uh, meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen during one of her transit trips uh, through the United States to some Central American backwater that still has diplomatic relations with Taiwan. This is the artifice that's required for the head of a democracy like Taiwan to meet with officials to come through the U.S. Doesn't take place in Washington, takes place at the Reagan Library uh, in California. And this is um, on the heels not too long, a year or two after Nancy Pelosi, then Speaker of the House, actually went to Taiwan, sparking a uh, predictable outrage from Beijing. They essentially encircled the island, did a de facto blockade. And, and this time they, they did some military exercises that had echoes of that. Um, the White House, you know, basically tried to play down the visit, play down um, the meeting with the speaker, saying these things have happened before. They're in line. Uh, the transit uh, visit, the meetings are, are nothing new, et cetera, et cetera. And also you have, uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence, you have the Undersecretary of Treasury for International Affairs saying, listen, we don't have a policy of decoupling from China. We may have a disagreement here or there, but we're not trying to decouple. And Janet Yellen herself, Treasury Secretary, Janet from another planet, has said that too. Uh, and I guess, okay, that's the policy. It just seems to me uh, an accommodationist um, kind of weak policy, a reminder that we don't have a China policy from this administration in, in the U.S. Uh, and I'm just curious what you thought of the whole uh, episode. Well, I think, first of all, kudos to Speaker Pelosi first and then kudos to McCarthy for having her. I actually think it was wise to have her come here. I think she got better press. I think we saw essentially um, something that the American people could look at and say, look, this isn't provocative. Um, McCarthy had a great line. I'm the Speaker of the House of the United States. You don't get to tell me who I meet with. And the Chinese, of course, still try to do that. Um, it's a huge mistake on their part to do that. They should just let it go. They can't. They won't. I understand why they won't, but it's a mistake for them anyway. Um, I thought overall there was a good bipartisan show for her. You know, Hakeem Jeffries, everybody saw her. She saw it around. But when you come down to the administration, I, I think the problem is that you've still got inside the administration this group that essentially feels they need to kowtow way too much for not the Chinese, but for the basically the interest inside the Democratic Party and the business community that literally cry like, you know, basically, you know, they whine like basically stabbed pigs every time something happens over a market that's not as important as it used to be. In other words, it's not a growth market anymore. There's a lot of problems with China in, their, in how they're treating U.S. companies yet still for whatever reason it is, I think probably because everybody in the administration wants a job after they leave, you know, a big paying job working uh -huh. with some international bank. So that means you got to keep China happy. Um, they do it. And it's, it's ridiculous. And it really does throw all these. All the all these basically all our strong positions, it throws them into flux. I don't like it. They do it. I'm sure there's a lot of very smart China analysts who say, well, you have to do this and have to do that. My overall takeaway from all of this was, and I know this is going to be controversial, is I think it should I think the reaction of the Chinese, just like with Pelosi, I kept looking at this. I tend to have, you know, 
enough knowledge to get in trouble, but people I trust. Right away yesterday, I spoke with a friend, not a relative, but a friend who really understands the Navy, the naval warfare quite well. And he made a really good point. The Chinese at their height got 91 aircraft up going over, okay? And they have 500, they have 1,000 fighters or something like that. Getting up 10% of their air force and going, it looks like it was quite an effort for them. So in other words, my point is, my takeaway from this is, I'm not as sure, I'm not sure they're as really as prepared as we think they are. You know what I'm saying? In other words, I think, I think this showed to me at least that they're not in that good a shape. There was some great, great naval uh, memes about like that aircraft carrier that was slowly <laughs> floating off China. Like, you know, um, 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 U.S. Navy submarine commanders going like, oh, please let me get it. Let me get it. You know, in other words, <laughs> it's a Navy cross floating. You saw that you saw that you saw that you saw that the, the Chinese ships. I mean, they're coming in really close. They're violating the line. They're they're not going to fire weapons from them. These guys are all standoff fighters. You know what I'm saying? They're going to shoot pistols at each other, maybe from 100 yards. Who knows? But the point being is, is that I I looked at it and I thought the Chinese essentially my thing was, OK, we've got some time because I don't think I don't think they were they really showed that they were ready. Now, it would be very interesting to me to see the satellite imagery of what happens at these bases after they fly. I was told after the Pelosi things that satellite photos showed a lot of aircraft being worked on. You know, I, I was told somebody, you know, of course we're getting overhead flights that the, basically the aircraft repair areas were very, very busy. So in other words, are we back to remember the North Korean thing where the North Koreans would have like their tanks, you know, roll in front of the stand they'd get 500 yards and then they'd break down and they'd push them to the side, but you no cameras could see that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. And, and, and my point with the Chinese, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing them. I'm not trying to be flippant, but I think what we saw was, is that really, um, they still are not there yet. And especially with their Navy, I, I think their Navy is 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 really not well-trained. They have all types of different problems. Everybody says they're turning out and building four ships a month or whatever the hell it is. You don't find they can't crew them. They can't get the crews on board. Their NCOs and non-commissioned officers are awful. They're all greedy and corrupt. The, 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 the individual sailors, you know, don't want to do it. And by the way, I've heard repeatedly from multiple sources that the PLA and the People's Liberation Navy is the last thing that people want to be in. So my takeaway from this whole event was good on Congress. They did actually what Congress is supposed to do, kind of show the will of the people. On the administration, B plus for Congress, C minus for the C for the administration. I don't know why they feel they need to do something, especially yelling. I'm actually... The NSC guys don't bother me too much on this, to be honest with you, and the DOD guys. It's the commerce guys. Why do they? Why do yeah. you feel the need to say anything? What's the rationale? If the Chinese call you and complain, say, hey, I don't do foreign policy. I do commercial policy. I don't understand why Yellen needs to say anything. Why some dipshit, you know, you know, in, in, in undersecretary of undersecretary of the toilet of international affairs needs to say anything. Why does he need to say anything? Just shut up. 
just yeah, you know, he gave an extensive interview to Bloomberg, but uh, yeah, yeah, sort of and and, and I'm sure I I'm sure people are going to go, why are you even talking? There's no need for this. Well, we're not fully decoupling. You're in. You're, this is where you are. This is where the decisions made. Why don't you go out and say above my pay grade? I'm sorry. And also, the decoupling is happening, hap taking place much more than other other than, than than people really know. Not because of government, but because of the marketplace. Now, I got a question for you because I watched you on Fox the other day, and I think you, unfortunately, it seemed to me like you were part of the cleanup crew. Like individuals would come out and say things. Let's go to Kristen now for put this in perspective. <laughs> and you and you were having to politely say things like. You know, Lindsey Graham, again, shooting off his mouth. Uh, McFall, Congressman McFall. I think Congressman McFall, I watched him. I think he was a little confused, actually. I don't think he intentionally, because he didn't really push it. But Lindsey Graham, this is like his fifth time he's done something like this. But a lot of people and a lot of commentators making comments that I, I, I don't think are helpful on the other side either. I don't see there's a, I don't, there's no reason for me to go out and like stick him in the face either. You know what I'm saying? Do what you do mm -hmm. and that's it. So how, how did you... How did, what do you think one of the I mean, what did you think of some of these comments that were being made? Yeah, I thought it was it was off key at best. And it's not like these are random congressmen uh, or a speaker of the House who has just a, a ton of stuff on his plate. Uh, McCall was is the, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House. And Lindsey Graham has been around forever. Uh, I think he's still in the Armed Services Committee. And certainly he talks like that. I joke, you know. Um, McCall is a uh, representative from Texas and Lindsey Graham is the senator from Hannity. <laughs> Meaning that seems to be his primary That's constituency. That's his primary station. <laughs> but, you know, they go out and they say that both of them sort of were talking, were drawn into talking about, well, would U.S. troops be sent to Taiwan? I think you've, you've been waiting for the United flight from San Francisco to Taiwan. I've noticed uh, not in uniform, but not acting in covert manner, a number of U.S. Uh, military personnel getting on the plane. So we have a few advisors there, probably people training um, on some of the weapons we sell them, but no real presence. But that's not what Taiwan is asking for. And I don't think it's what they need. I mean, if you went and told them, hey, we want to put a, a, a several bases on your island, uh, 50 to 100,000 people, similar to what South Korea has, and that'll protect you from, from being invaded because they know they're going to war with the United States. You know, they, may, they probably wouldn't say no to that, but it's, it's unnecessary. It is provocative and dangerous. Um, and if Taiwan isn't asking uh, for Americans to put themselves on the front line, and also if Taiwan is paying, unlike Ukraine, unlike Iraq, unlike all of these other um, partners we have around the world. Taiwan is paying for its own defenses. I mean, those are huge talking points that can be used with the American people. But if you're Lindsey Graham or calling, you go out and you say, well, yeah, maybe we, we would put troops there. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just the wrong side of the discussion. The reality is if there's a war in the Pacific, I think we get drawn in no matter what. But um, mm -hmm. you run the risk, uh, I think, going into a recession where the Ukraine war, which was supposed to be this layup where we're going to kick Russia's butt and doesn't look like that at this point in time, uh, on the heels of Iraq, out of Libya, of Syria, of all these liabilities that the American can, people will look at this and say, oh, my God, this is what another group yeah. of people who want U.S. troops. And uh, even if I can understand why we don't want China to dominate the Western Pacific? I, I, do we really need to protect this other country and, and the spat it has with China? I just thought it was um, the wrong messaging. And it's, it's not isolated. There's some people, Gallagher is much better at it. He's definitely been much more thoughtful. He's the chairman of the, the CCP committee. But so many members of Congress just seem, I mean, uh, not to be paying attention to their portfolios.
Yeah, I mean, it's it's the old Princess Bride thing. Never get involved in a land war in Asia. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, it's it's. Look, the, these guys. I think your point. What I think your point is really really solid here. There is no desire on the part of the American people to put ground troops in Taiwan. The Japanese don't want to put ground troops in Taiwan, and I think the Taiwanese know that essentially that almost guarantees some type of response from the Chinese. In other words. I think China is a very unsettled, very unsettled on this whole question. I think Xi Jinping has what he'd like to do, but I think he knows what he can and cannot do. Um, and so there's a lot of different messages there. The only thing I would say that I think, um, I think really that 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 we we have to look at here. And in fairness, you've been there before me. I, I have not really, I've not really changed my position on Ukraine. My whole thing is let them fight, supply them. It's is going building Putin down, but I have added this caveat: wars change borders. Sorry, that's just the way it is. And the fact of the matter is, is that you know now that they've said, you know, as as a friend of mine says, Crimea is never going back to Ukraine. And when I see people say that, no way, that's a nuclear option for them. They're not giving Crimea back. That's their access to the Black Sea. It ain't going to happen. Okay, and I think the Ukrainians even know that. But I think you're right. The the thing that has to happen in so much of this stuff is, you know, I kind of have a rule in Taiwan. It gets me in trouble all the time. But, you know, you got to pay attention to the situation. And Taiwan for years has had we have this whole press corps there. You know, if, if the last article you wrote was an emotive piece on how a poet feels about the coming pressures of being Taiwanese, you should not be writing about. Taiwan air defense capabilities, which for some reason they always feel they should. There's a real problem there. And the problem that happens is, is that leads to, you know, journalists not asking good questions. You know, McCall really didn't get called out on anything there. Nobody really followed up on it. I will say the FT has a good, pretty good reporter there who really understands it. New York Times has good people there too. And there's also some very good defense reporters, but they weren't there. So I agree with you. I, I think I think we have to be very careful with what we say. I think it's eminently manageable to let the Taiwanese manage this with the Chinese. They've managed it for years. There is obviously a compromise that Xi Jinping will settle on. But here's the final point that's most important. They have paid for the damn weapons. They have paid for them. They're paying for them. Yes. Everybody else is showing up for a freebie. The Egyptians are getting free stuff and then sell, trying to sell missiles to the Russians. The <laughs> Taiwanese are great. They're loyal in this sense. They're waiting there for it. And we can't get them to them. You know why we can't get them to them? One of the reasons is you've got this whole Ukrainian lobby that every time something, it's almost like watching a cartoon, like, you know, the missile comes off the thing and it's heading to Taiwan and like two guys in capes run over and put it on a truck to, to Ukraine. It's the truth. It's the, the problem. Right. You know, they're not getting enough 155 shells. Why not? Because they're all going to they're all going to Ukraine. A guy told me the other day, he said artillery, everything, you know, uh, javelins, you know, Michael Turton, who's really funny. He's a he's a blogger in, in Taiwan, an actual still a blogger. You know, he's like he's like, you know, if every congressional delegation that came over, if they could just put one Singer missile in their suitcase, he'd be happy. You know, because it's 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 reached that point. They we just we have to send them the weapons, right? So you know that's that's that. But I mean, but the other thing too is we are heading into. And I was going to ask you this: 
we're heading into some pretty tough financial waters right now. So, I mean, how does that change the situation out here, you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're heading into a recession in the U.S. There's there You go through these phases that are interesting where people were convinced of that here, but hoping for a soft landing. And then earlier this year, people convinced themselves that there wasn't going to be any landing, that maybe we could just get through this monetary tightening. Then you had the bank failures. People are now talking about recession again. I just think if you have the monetary contraction in the end with the Republican House, I mean, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, so-called that has shoveled a lot more government money out the door, uh, competing uh, or similar to what has been shoved out the door since COVID first hit. So from you know 2020 till the present time and for the foreseeable future, trillion dollar plus federal deficits. But that's the only thing really driving the economy now. And it's I, I think you're seeing just the beginning of the end of this, this period of prosperity. Uh, the last thing people are still spending like nuts, including on um, sort of leisure and services, but uh, you're starting to see unemployment. That's not just in tech, that's kicking up. Um, if banks were cautious before because the Fed is no longer just jamming money into them, then they're gonna be more so after Silicon Valley Bank. So, um, and if you look at, at M2 and the Fed's balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet uh, did kick up a little bit with the the, the non-bailout bailout of Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other banks, but you still see monetary contraction and that is going to have an effect. So um, I think that makes people more cautious a, a, about foreign commitments. If, if in, in times that appear prosperous because people are upset with inflation, rightly so, but have jobs, have job choices and options and their pay is going up and you say, okay, a hundred billion for Ukraine. Well, they're gonna be a number of people who are upset with that. If you look at the deficit and look at these European moochers who aren't paying, but in a recession, the idea that we're going to take on more foreign obligations, I think goes south. You know, and this is not the question you asked, but one side note of this, that U.S. officials didn't bring up with Tsai Ing-wen. She's a lame duck. She's leaving office uh, after, well, this time next year, but a January election in Taiwan um, and has done little to bring any sort of energy to the Taiwan economy or to mm. make it easier for Americans to live there and do business there. I would have liked to see some congressmen bring that up because all she should have to just sit there and grin and take it uh, and, and why not? But uh, um, so I think you, you're going to have recession here and that will reverberate in East Asia. You know more about the Chinese economy than I do, but I think this reopening has been overplayed. People keep looking uh, for this huge surge in demand and it doesn't seem to be materializing uh, unless you're seeing something different. Well, there's, there's I'll give you two, I'll give you two, uh two measures that I look at just came out. There's a great web. There's a great website called freight alley and it tracks all the boring stuff that people don't like, but shipping rates 11 months ago, 12 months ago, the sh price to ship a 40 foot container from Hong Kong to LA was approximately about $13,000. Okay. U S today that same container is moving for less than $1,400. Wow. Because of the collapse of demand. Okay. Now, the other thing that's happened too is we are seeing trucking rates in the United States at their lowest levels since 2009. Hmm. Okay. Now, part of that is because a lot of new truckers have come in, especially this new immigrant wave. It's a, it's a fact. The guy comes over from wherever he comes from. One thing he can do is drive a truck. And, uh, you know, it's one of the funnier conversations you have with truck drivers now and when, with warehouse people. 
you go to some of these docs, international, some of these docs, there's nine different languages being spoken. You know what I'm saying? None of them English. That's fine. As long as some of the guys, so you got somebody there to speak English, tell the guy, you know, how to back the truck up. And they, they tend to be okay. But that's a side note there. But it shows how our economy, I think, will be stronger in the future uh, with mm-hmm. a lot of these people there because we'll have the capacity there, you know, to bake it cheap. And and and, and we'll have some real capacity there in terms of, of moving the logistics around. But here's the other thing with China. The governments, local governments have no money. They got nothing. Hmm. They 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 are laying people off. They're missing payrolls. They're missing project payments. And to do to get the money, they're doing what you can do. And it's what you can do inside a totalitarian regime. They're basically appropriating things. They're going to banks. And, you know, one of the things is, is they're going to companies are saying, how much money does the guy have in the bank account? Oh, well, the Mark Simon company has 45 has a billion renminbi. We're going to tax you on that. We're going to tax you 4%. So 40, 40 million renminbi walk out the door. That's a tax. Mm-hmm. So people, people are not undertaking economic activity in China. And the other thing, too, is I think we are now really starting to see the bite of the demographics in China. In other words, it's not it's not the number of people that die. It's the number of people that turn 65 to 70. In other words, yeah, everybody can work, and I'm hoping I can work till I'm 64, 65. You know what I'm saying? But after 65, let's just be honest. Unless you got a job like this where you're running your mouth and you're talking, you're okay. But if you got to do any physical work, if you got to travel, you know, I mean, we're start. I'm getting older. I'm seeing friends. I have a friend. About six months ago, he's 66 and he works for a he works part time for a big consulting firm. You know, he went of council, like I guess you would call it of council of consulting. And he still does some work for us. He's 66. They called him and they said, we need you to come to uh, Vancouver. And he's like, I I just left there two weeks ago. Oh, no, no. We need you to come there again. He goes, no. He said, I can't do it. He said, I fly out there from Toronto. I spend four, you guys only want to, I'm there for four nights. I come back here. I'm, you know, my, I can't take it. So he's, he's passing on projects. And he told me about it because he knows my, he knows my theory. My theory is 50 is the new 40, 60 is the new 50, 70 is still 70. And maybe 65 is still 65 for some of us. Mm -hmm. But the fact is the Chinese are hitting this. The Chinese are hitting this hard. It's a hard wall. You know, we talk about, we can, talk, you know, look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk is opening a factory in China. That's another thing. So that the yeah. Chinese economy is not doing well. So now Elon Musk, what do you think? Do you think Musk can keep Tesla? Yeah, my guess is not. You mentioned that. So it's a big, it's not just the already big investment Tesla has in China. It's a big new one. He's announced about uh, electric car batteries that'll be in the Shanghai area. And so this is someone who is going deeper and deeper and deeper into China um, you know, all these magnates, including people like Rupert Murdoch, seem to have to get burned hard in China until they realize that you can only get to some level of success before the Chinese are going to take it from you one way or another, either prevent you from, from, from getting big. And Larry Fink is doing this now with Blackstone. They think they're going to get some huge part of 
China's retirement investment market. Just it's not going to happen. They're having huge problems. I think Fidelity is trying to get in there too. They have a fraction of a percent of of market share. Um, but it's 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 more precarious if you're Elon Musk because you're someone who I like this. He he has opinions. I agree with a lot of them. He expresses them vocally. He owns Twitter. That seems to be, you know, he just switched the, the incorporation on that to something called, is it X Corporation? Something along those lines in Nevada, um, which to me says that the, the, the future of that company is going to be very different than just um, Snark coming out of uh, a San Francisco-based company. Um, and then he Mind also owns SpaceX. Great. SpaceX, which is going to be a huge opera, I mean, already is critical. I mean, they're providing these free services to Ukraine. They told the Pentagon they were going to stop providing it for free. Everyone had this big meltdown. And so they're continuing to do that. But um, conflict with China, China is going to go after Starlink. They're probably going to do it beforehand. They're making plans, I'm sure, at this moment to disrupt Starlink, which provides Internet service from satellites um, with the cyber attack. I'm sure China would, would undertake um, in, in wartime and maybe even in peacetime. It just seems like all of these things having a liability that is it's not just financial or software is physically located and must remain so in China doesn't doesn't fit with having these other um, enterprises. So what do you think? I don't think you can have, I mean, look, Musk is so brilliant. I was, I was like the other day I was, I was watching something and it was, it was really funny on Bloomberg because everybody goes, my favorite thing about Musk is people, I'm not trying to be nasty or rude or anything, but it will be, but like foreign policy people or bloggers or people with sub stacks or all this stuff who, basically call Musk an idiot. I understand people who are critical of him, and I have a number of people I really think are quite correct, like Bill Bishop over at Sinicism, I think has some of the most spot-on criticism of Musk. But I also think know that Bill Bishop doesn't think Musk is an idiot. It always amazes me when he goes, oh, Musk just doesn't understand Twitter. Yeah, he puts <laughs> rockets in space. He builds electric cars. But no, he doesn't understand Twitter because Twitter's unique. Only you understand Twitter with your gender studies degree from Montclair State. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It's just, it's it's not a, I think the problem he has is, I think Tesla's boring him. That's my personal belief. I think he's can't, his problem is, he has such a big nut in that thing, he doesn't know how to get out of it, he's trapped. So he's gotta find a way to turn that over to someone who can actually buy it. His problem, though, is he's in China. So who wants to buy it and become a partner with the Chinese Communist Party? Musk does have probably more protection from the Chinese than anybody else. Because if they do, and I, and I had this before, when I used to be in shipping with Sealand, now this was before Xi Jinping. But one of the things is, is other companies were amazed at how the U.S. shipping companies, how we fought with the communists, how we fought with China. I did stuff over there with the regulatory affairs guys that I would watch. I mean, I shouldn't say I was a very junior that were unbelievable how we would like. I remember one time we were going to cut Chinese shipping companies off from landing, landing cargo on U.S. ports. And people were flipping out. They were losing their minds. But the Federal Maritime Commission controls it. Shipping lines really control the Federal Maritime Commission so they could do it. And the Chinese didn't know how to handle this. They were going to the State Department, all their friends, every place like that. Couldn't stop it and because I, I was handling the phone calls from these pro-China lobbyists who were trying to get through to my bosses at Sealand to get us to stop. 
And my bosses were like, they're a bunch of old shipping guys. We don't care. We're going to get what we want. And that's why the U.S. shipping companies were so powerful in China. They had the advantage. I think Musk's advantage has two things. First of all, he's Elon Musk. And if he starts really getting into it, into it with China, that's a problem for them. In other words, it's, 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 it's not right. as much as people did. That's a real problem for them. I think the other thing, too, is, is that my belief is he's also invested enough in their economy that yeah. if they hit, that, hit him, a lot of other people are going to say, well, if they'll hit Elon Musk, they'll hit anybody. You know, in other words, so so that's right. problematic for them as well. But my point really is it's not it can't be separate of that. It's it's inclusive. But I think he's bored with it. I think he really, like you said, he's moving this to Vegas. Um, as a friend of mine tells me, buy Dogecoin, because obviously Musk is going to do something with it if he does anything, you know. Oh, interesting. And so, mm. you know, he's going to do that. So you've got, <laughs> you, you got Musk there. But then the real thing to me that I think is really going to be interesting is he's, you know, he wants to go to space. He wants to do all these big things. And I think he knows that China is a problem for him. The question is, who can buy Tesla? That to me is the real question. Japanese can't come in and buy it. GM won't buy it. Maybe there's some giant private equity group out there that can handle well, it. We, Apple we has keep, the cash. It sort of yeah. looks like an iPhone anyway, right? That's right. Well, you know, we keep forgetting that there's some companies that are in China that are controlled by foreign shareholders. Uh, the, probably the majority of Alibaba shareholders are Chinese, but through foreign, foreign, you know, like their accounts mm. overseas. But Tencent, for example, is owned by a South or was for the majority of it was the majority minority partner was a South African firm. I dealt with them. South African private equity firm, which drove the Chinese crazy. I know they've been diluted quite a bit after a while, but it's not uncommon to have a lot of big players up in there. Carlisle owns some major stuff up there, some of the other people. So to me, it's going to be a real interest of who can do it. But the problem also is once Elon Musk leaves Tesla, you know, does Tesla keep going? You know what I'm saying? The way it's going now. I, I myself think it'll be really quite interesting to see. Um, you know, quite frankly, the best buyer for Tesla, people will scream when I say that would be a Chinese company. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, that would be. I think with an agreement. Concerned with all the sensors and cameras on Tesla's collecting all that information that, <laughs> that yeah. would freak people I mean, out. That would, be, that would be people would it would never happen, you know, and it would be the best thing for Ford in the world. But I, I, <laughs> I kind of believe in my mind. Can I just tell you one thing about decoupling? Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing, the mistake, I think, I think China was a mistake for Tesla. The reason why is I think if he wouldn't have gone to China with Tesla, I think he could basically keep the Chinese out much more effectively in other markets. In other words, you know, he could, he could, he could fight a better battle there. He got sucked in the deal that he got. I mean, I don't really know the details of it, but there's a couple of people who you and I wouldn't consider bullshitters. And they said, basically, he's not paying any taxes. He's there for free. Of course, they're stealing everything he has, but he doesn't seem to care about that. Um, you know, I mean, technology is there. But right. I, 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 do, I do think, I do think, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad decision. But the question is, here's the whole thing. Does he sell it and get $200 billion out of it? Or does he get $135 billion out of it? I don't know if that matters that much anymore. And I also have heard that, 
Twitter is not bleeding what it was bleeding before, you know. So mm. I mean, if Twitter bleeds three or four hundred million a year, which is completely reasonable, he can handle that no problem. His biggest issue is the debt payments, but I think, you know, he's gotten people to write them down. And you know, the thing is also he just gives them business someplace else. Would you like to write loans for Tesla? Would you like to do some other things? You know, it's the old yeah. saying: Elon Musk. Everybody says Elon Musk is in trouble. I said, no, the banks who loaned Elon money, the money is in, are in trouble. <laughs> Elon's just fine. <laughs> you know, it's right. he so much, it doesn't matter. And that goes to my final thing. I'll let you go. I won't get in trouble. But worst business decision that we've seen, rival, not quite rivals up there with New Coke, but was the Budweiser picking uh, D D whatever his name is, or her name, uh, David Mulvaney or whatever it is. And but here's my point. My real point in this is if people have been following it, and I'm sure everybody has, I don't really care who they picked. If you want to pick somebody a transgender, if you want to, you know, have lead with anything, that's fine. What amazes me is internally inside Anheuser-Busch, how the young woman who is leading this campaign, how her and her team have been trashing the rest of the company. Just, tr I mean, they basically rolled something out. It was an unmitigated disaster. We've heard all throughout the country, there's apparently some big contest in Colorado or something where you guys have a dart throwing contest. And every time they have the dart throwing contest, they sell 300 bottles of or 400 bottles that night of Anheuser-Busch products and like three kegs. Because of this issue, they sold like two cases and like a third of a keg. You know what I'm saying? And it was right. all to people, it was all the people who were not on social media. And right. then and so, and, yeah. And so basically and so what what uh, Budweiser did Anheuser Busch, Bud Light hired a transgender, so someone who was yeah. a man right. who's now a woman to to and because this marketing person inside decided they did they had too much of a frat boy image. Uh, I don't know if they who know who consumes beer at that price level and that degree of weakness, but, you know, essentially decides to insult their core market, which isn't just frat boys, but it is, it's not, you know, people who are, who are, you know, wanting to spend $12 a beer for some, you know, curated, <laughs> lovely tasting thing. who wants a beer uh, and, and thought that this would be a good idea uh, and sales have plummeted. I, I don't know who owns the com competition course at Molson. They must just be having, they're going to have the best quarter of their lives. It, it's it, the problem you have. It's kind of like when Gillette went out there. Mm -hmm. I just don't think you do politics in your projects. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, yeah. and she said the type that the things are that it's 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 look, there's an old movie with Mel Gibson where he's like selling beer and they bring in the young woman, you know, to change the image and all this stuff. And Mel Gibson selling beer is basically, you know, he has some line that's very politically incorrect about women in tight shirts you know, and, and race cars and all this stuff. And that's how you sell beer. He's not wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's really, you know, uh, they said, we're trying to have a new market. You're not going to have a new market. Beer drinkers are beer drinkers. They've always been that. I will tell you the one thing that I'm kind of proud of. I was up seeing my son at Purdue with my wife and I would see him. He was in the bar. He was in the restaurant and he ordered a Bud Light. And we were like, we, we looked at him like, what? And the wait, even the waitress was like, oh, and because they saw us joking with him. And he goes, what? So he's not on social media. He doesn't do it. He's like, it bothers him. And I'm going, that's actually a really good thing. But I but I it brought the whole point home to me 
that essentially, <laughs> even when the even when the somebody else delivered the Bud Light, the woman who delivered the Bud Light was like happy for him because I, you know, I, I multicolored hair. She really seemed to think that he was somehow making a statement. He wasn't. He's just ignorant. But the the waitress and my wife and my my daughter we were just looking at him and like he doesn't care. You know, I'm just disappointed he drinks Bud Light and thinks that's a decent beer. You know, yeah. yes. But the thing is, is that no, it's it's uh, it's to me the thing that really came back was that essentially you assaulted your customer, insulted your mm -hmm. clients, and you could have done it so much different. You could, there were so many different ways to work this person in. You know what I'm saying? Into the mix and mm -hmm. not seriously. You can you can be inclusive. But this thing was exclusive. It wasn't. It wasn't inclusive. It was exclusively. This is our person, and this is what we're doing. And and they 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 made a huge mistake there. I think they really went out of their way and they insulted their. It, and and the problem you have is that I thought it was the same as Gillette. It's like if you don't agree with us, if you don't like this, you're a bigot. It's like okay, right. but you can't stop me from. I mean, doesn't mean when I walk up to the bar, I have to play your game. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I do have this vision, though. I do have this vision, like in certain places in San Francisco and other super liberal places. When somebody walks up and orders a Miller Lite, why aren't you ordering a Bud Light? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna... trying to show solidarity. No, yeah, they... I, can, I can, I can, I can, um, I can, I. There are certain people I can see doing that, but you know, other than that, but no, I mean, I, I, I think, I, to, to me, I think, like I'm saying, I think it's a. I, I just thought to myself, having all my Asian experience. I don't think anybody really, really care if this was the situation, but I think the way they did it and the way the marketing team rolled it out was there was just many different ways to do it and they didn't do it that way. Yeah. Now there's a Lululemon uh, store in our little town uh, that sort of has this in your face, here are our, our ethics and our values and our beliefs. And it's, it's, <laughs> It's not like people are being rude jerks, except for having seen this sign. It's just a, it's, it's more, it's, 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 it's a obnoxious. It's not uh, helping anyone. Uh, and at the end of the day, I like marketing and the sales and advertising, which um, advertising certainly is a subset of marketing. Uh, these are supposed to make you money, not cost you money as a business. I'll tell you a story. I've caused I've caused a, un, a guy's getting boycotted. He doesn't even know it in our town. Well, he's closed now, but he used to have a sign in his window. It was a small deli. Now he, he was he was a he was a diner. He just sold food. There was nothing there. He had a sign up in his window that said "Shoplifters get you a ride to jail." He's in a small town next to like this is like where my kids walked out all the time. This is a small, friendly town, but he doesn't have, there's nothing to shoplift in his store. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's this, it's this, it's this like hard sign there. And people would say, let's meet the Waverly for breakfast and our lunch. And I go, I don't go there. And they go, why not? And I go, I can't stand that guy who has that attitude. I said, my kids are walking along there and he's telling all these kids. And the funny thing was, I actually said that to a few people and about, I guess a year later, I met a guy and we were talking and he said, yeah, I heard you don't like the waiver. He goes, I don't go in there either. My wife won't go in there either. And he said, we have a couple of friends who won't go in there because it's the, the point being is this area in New Jersey is 
it's pretty liberal. It's got a few things happening. You know what I'm saying? But the point is, is like he's insulting his customers that somehow we are coming into his store. The people that walk on that street right. are thieves. Well, screw you. I'm not going to walk into your store. And the same with Lululemon, that somehow we're bigots. Right. And then we need we're them not gonna, to educate us. And you're going to educate us on this. It's insulting. Right. Why, why insult people? Just take their money. Just, yeah, you're selling do. overpriced sweatpants. I don't need a lecture in morality. That's exactly <laughs> right. Do they make stuff for men? Lululemon like stuff for men? They do. I, yeah, I, you know, they get the, the catalog and it's drastically overpriced. So need some sweatpants, Walmart will hook you up for 20 bucks. And, yeah, I was going to say, look, I'm still in the ugly gray sweatpants here. But anyway, all right, well, look, take care of yourself, all right? All right, thanks. That's all the time we have for this episode. We'll see you again soon with the next one. Bye-bye.